0: Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights.
1: Welcome back everybody to 2021. I hope you had an opportunity to relax during this holiday. I certainly did. I went into places where it just wasn't even possible to get a signal of any kind. So it could not be attached to any form of media. It was blissful. Landed back in Johannesburg on Sunday the 3rd, late at night. And the following day, we started with no vaccines. Where are the vaccines? Um, how are we going to get vaccines? Why do we not have vaccines? I will talk that to you later about that with our uh, guest, my esteemed CEO, Franz Cronier from the IRR. Um, but just briefly before we go to go to get to that, um, the other obviously major news, um, and we got uh, some fairly interesting feedback every time we wrote about it was, of course, uh, the speech by Donald Trump and the subsequent attack on the Capitol and the House of Representatives by Trump supporters. And this huge debate as to whether he incited them or he didn't incite them, or maybe he did and maybe he didn't. But the point is that leaders have to take some responsibility for their followers. And there is no doubt that if you're in a position like some someone like Donald Trump, you will have gained an almost a slavish devotion from your your followers. Uh, if you hold a, a meeting, you've lost the presidential election. You hold a, a rally very close to the, the capital. Uh, you don't you don't have to say very much for them to react on your behalf. So I think. It was a tricky presidency in very many respects. There were some, there were some definite positives and one has to give him credit for that. But I think he literally went and undermined it in that last week because as, as is commonly said, the key to democracy and the democratic change of, of power through elections is less that the winner accepts the win than that the loser accepts the result. And Donald Trump cannot, cannot lose. And, um, it's very difficult to foretell at this stage whether it'll be a salutary effect, have a salutary effect, both on the right and on the left, because the left is a very, very big, holds a very big responsibility for the, for the ordinary voter on the right for their responses and for their feelings towards government in America. Um, I unfortunately I'm a little pessimistic about that because I do not think Joe Biden will be the great conciliator. So we'll have to partly wait and see but it is a very very worrying fact that the strongest country the the the, the most esteemed democracy in the world um is completely at people are, at, are each side is at odds with the other side and that's very very uh, very very worrying. Um small item of news, the president was on the radio last night and, oh sorry, television, the radio and he basically pretty much didn't change very much, uh, very reluctant co- correctly so to go to a full lockdown because our, our economy was further shattered if that was possible by the first lockdown and the effects on the economy and job losses he, he mostly, probably most importantly um, brought the Locked, sorry, not the lockdown, the curfew back from 6 a.m. to 5 a.m. And this, to me, reflects the fact that we've got a government and p- members of the government who do not understand the reality of life. People, a lot of people, have to be up, out, out of their houses by 5 in order to get to their much-needed places of employment. And everyone but the government seemed to have understood it until until yesterday. The uh, The sale of alcohol... The ban on the sale of alcohol remains, and this is very likely to see, the for sure, the alcohol industry going to, to court. Um, one can understand it to some, from a practical point of view to some extent in that the absence of alcohol does diminish the amount of people requiring medical treatment in hospitals, and we do have a problem with alcohol-related uh, injuries, cars, attacks, etc., but you know that's been a societal problem for a long time, and we have got to find other ways, over longer term ways, of dealing with that. And then um, we have to wish uh, Jackson and Timberwell well because he has uh, tested positive for uh, for COVID and has to go into isolation. Um, but I don't know. There's something about being a member of Parliament and being on the cabinet that is perhaps uh, uh, Helped to prevent you get COVID, and maybe we should all look at that, because so far those who've got COVID, such as, um, uh, what, I, forget our, I forget our Minerals and Energy Affairs Minister, um, he got it, and despite appearing to have obvious comorbidities, he came through it on the other side, as did Tula Stasi, the Minister of Labour, who is really a rather large gentleman. He had it, and he came out the other side and i I think it 's a, a great mystery um i I don 't know how they managed to do this, so maybe Jackson, maybe something about being in parliament uh, provides you cover in the absence of a vaccine and uh, we'll all uh, we're all seeking office in sh- in the short term. The political party funding act, which has been uh, uh, which, is, which, is, which has been signed but has not been put, passed into law, apparently is supposed to come into effect during April of this year, which is quite intriguing because I think uh, so President Ramaphosa has been sitting on it for quite a while. Um, and April is just, what, three, four months away from the municipal elections, which sh- should not be to the great advantage of the ANC. Traditionally, the opposition parties do better in local elections than they do in national. But we've seen one national government department, namely the SABC, uh, enact some retrenchments. And that is, that's extraordinary. I mean, to actually see the public sector finally retrenching when, and unfortunately, it, it's desperately needed. Um, it may uh, start spreading because um, we have more than 200 municipalities that are in deep financial crisis, many of whom can't pay their salaries. And in fact, the Amatole um, district municipality revealed that it will only be able to pay salaries up until from February to June. Now, to not pay salaries after June and you're a month and a bit away from an election um, that's, uh, is, that should be political cyanide for, for the ANC. But I see that the IC is going to court to plead for an extension, sorry, to apply for an extension for the period in which to hold the municipal election. Um, I'm not, that's quite interesting because one is that the, the election is by law supposed to be held by the end of, of August and no later. And secondly, not a few months ago, the IEC was saying that it was ready for the election, notwithstanding COVID and all the crises that have arisen from it. So it seems they've changed their minds. I haven't as yet seen the reasons for it. But uh, as soon as elections start, start being moved outside of their prescribed period, um, you have to worry, either because there's a lack of competence on the part of the IEC or perhaps the hidden hand of – uh, political pressure, either way it's, uh, it's not a good sign, we need to, go to, we need to go to the election. And just generally speaking, and uh, we'll probably speak at this, about this in more detail later on, is uh, if, if conspiracy theories comprised an industry they would be the growth industry of 2020 2021 um, because we have seen in response to articles that we've written a slew of, shall we say, derogatory to insulting um, letters, responses, claiming essentially uh, upholding uh, conspiracies that just to, uh, to my mind are not supported by a fact and I'm curious to find out, and we'll probably discuss this at a later stage as to what it is about conspiracy theories that people hold to them so vehemently and even aggressively. With that in mind, uh let's go to our first ad break and then we'll return with our guest.
0: Do you ever feel overwhelmed that sometimes it's all too much? Need to offload? The Hi FM helpline is here to help you. Give us a call 0800 242436. 24 the Hi FM helpline. Caring, compassionate, confidential. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.
1: Welcome back, every ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to say it. Um, But I'm now going to introduce you to a gentleman, and I'm not going to uh, excuse myself for referring to him as a gentleman as opposed to a body or a person or something of that woke, wokely correct status. My boss and the CEO of the Institute of Race Relations, uh, Dr. Franz Cornier. France, welcome.
2: Hi, Sarah. It's very nice to be here.
1: Thank you. Franz, um, I would just probably describe you more. more uh, there would be very many words positive, uh, I, I would add, to describe you, but that you are probably one of the, if not the foremost scenario planner um, in the country. And we will largely look at. Um, scenarios of, that, we, that, that were, pre- were presented and written about last year. But I'd like to just start sort of on the here and now, and that was the fact that we came back to work literally on top of vaccines that were nowhere to be seen. Um, the government had appeared to do nothing and had fallen behind the ordering of vaccines behind countries like Colombia, Peru, uh, Nepal even. Um Would you give us just some background on what what that crisis has been about that, again, makes our government look a little on the incompetent side?
2: Yeah, well, you're very generous, sorry. Um, (laughs) We have (laughs) got calls right. On on South Africa, we've been good in the main. Last year on the world, we were pretty good. We can get into those. But, um, you know, I have the advantage of, of a team of extraordinary Analyst colleagues who are able to source amazing information, are quite well connected, and have the experience of history, and are free thinkers. And that's really important in strategic analysis these days. If you're an analyst who's at all constrained by political correctness, you're not going to get your calls right. If, if you're not so constrained, it becomes very much easier to see where the world is going. And so, so I have that advantage without which you really wouldn't be able to do what what I do. The uh, COVID business is a mess here, I'm afraid. Um, We did COVID scenarios last year about how the vaccine will play out in the country and the world. And what those identified was there were risks of mutations, all manner of things, seasonal effects, all of that we knew. But the dead stop, the, the, the necessary condition to return to a degree of normality, both socially and economically, would be the vaccine. And it was known um, late last year, I'd say in the, in the third quarter of the year, that the vaccines were successful and that they wouldn't probably, pro- probably work. And um, despite that, uh, South African authorities have dropped the ball on the vaccine. And the, the, the tragedy in that is our country has already suffered such terrible harm at the hands of the, of the pandemic and, and the combination of the pandemic and the economic lockdowns, and almost 2 million people uh, lost their jobs as, as a consequence. Uh, economic growth was uh, uh, deeply negative last year. Uh, the budget deficit, which is the difference between what the government spends and it earns, is, is, is again plumbing debt that South Africa saw in the decade that was the collapse of apartheid in the 1980s, or prior to that, the second and the first world wars. Uh, Living standards are stagnating and reversing across a range of indicators. Uh, Political uh, instability and populism as a consequence is rising. And um, countries that pull out of these kinds of crises early will be those that vaccinate first. And South Africa, because it's bungled the procurement, is going to be one of the late vaccinators. And you can imagine the the disadvantage this causes you. Let's just take the tourism industry as an example. Tourists are not going to flock back to countries that still demonstrate pandemic peaks or high levels of infection. If you're a tourist destination that can say we've vaccinated our population, we're out of this thing for the time being, it's safe to come to us. You take a huge lead in the tourism business. And that, 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 that goes for almost any sector of the economy. What's led behind the bungling? Well, there, there are two things. Uh, one is just plain incompetence, uh, which, which is ever more a feature of policymaking. It has been over the past a decade in South Africa, regrettably continued under Mr. Ramaphosa. The second factor is ideology and the, the sense within the government that if the private sector was allowed to lead the vaccine drive, both in terms of procurement and in terms of distribution, that would set a very negative precedent, uh, precedent on national health insurance, which is a government policy to in effect nationalize the private healthcare care sector. Uh, South Africa has also, over the past decade, played a leading role in seeking to stigmatize and undermine the innovative pharmaceutical industry, particularly that Mm. in the United States of America. So between the the incompetence, the hostility to private health care, the fear that if the private sector saves South Africa from the pandemic, politically, how can you possibly justify national health insurance after that? and the historical hostility to the innovative pharma sector, I'm afraid we're going to get into a position now where we're going to be a very late vaccinator, which is going to exacerbate the already exacerbated, relative to other emerging markets, damage the pandemic has caused in the country. And I'll stop there for you now, Sarah. I've gone on for a while. One thing we can explore, which is interesting, is going to be the political consequences of this. Sorry, back to you.
1: Okay. I just wanted, in fact, to, to make a point, really, rather. I was listening to a financial program last night, and we were talking about the weakness of the RAND. And they pointed out that the, the, the Israeli shekel is the strongest currency at the moment. Um, Israel is also the lead vaccinator in the world at the moment. And in line with what you have just said, that tallies. Um, Israel will do do better. We will do worse.
2: Well, Israel's done brilliantly on the vaccine. But yep. as, as you know, as your station knows, good things that happen in Israel can't be acknowledged in South Africa. And we mm. can't learn from that experience. And we can't take it on board. And we can't ask for that support for political and ideological reasons. And, and I mean, that's tragic across so many areas. But, it's, but mm. in the present predicament, I mean, if I was a South African health authority, uh, bungling now as we do one of the calls i'd make very early on is to the israelis to say please can you tell us what you've done and how you've done it because we are, we're we're mm-hmm. late to the game here and we need to start getting it right sorry
1: Okay. Um, then to go back to the uh, f- scenarios of last year, we 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 admitted, if I can put it that way, that what we had got wrong was the second wave and the intensity of of the second wave. But uh, we're in good company in that respect because I know Nick Hudson from Panda said they they didn't get that either. What are the sort of things that we that we saw and uh, suppose essentially thought? were likely to happen, actually did
2: happen. Now, let me t- tell you how we got the second wave wrong. We'd produced scenarios on on the pandemic, and there were four of those, and they were varied. And one of those scenarios was a, a series of peaks and troughs. And we thought mm-hmm. it wouldn't be that one. That was our advice to our clients. We don't think it's going to be that one, which is what we're in now. We think it's rather going to be a, a, a one-peak pandemic for South Africa. And the reason we thought that is that the first peak would be the lockdown was quite leaky and we thought more people had been exposed and would develop a degree of, of immunity as a consequence. Secondly, we thought the South African summer will curb the exuberance of the virus. And that we were very badly wrong on, if
1: you at mm, what's happening. Mm.
2: And we, we, we knew mutations were a risk, but we'd written them down quite low in, in our assessment. And we knew the vaccine. We knew the vaccine was done and we didn't. You know, naive as we are, we didn't think you could possibly screw that up. And we thought the vaccine would be available. And you know what? Had the vaccine been available in South Africa in early December, you know, we, we, we yeah. talked about a matter of weeks, we would we, we would have, um, And and the mutation had not occurred. We probably would have seen the second wave.
1: Sorry, I'm just letting that uh, helicopter I'll fly
2: overhead. Allow helicopter to pass. Right. Let's talk about so that. That. Let's talk about some other calls. The biggest call of the year was that there would be no move towards structural reform in South Africa. Mm. The government would introduce nothing substantive to turn the economy around. That was a huge call because so many economists and analysts uh, were saying that reform was imminent under Ramaphosa. That one we got. We got absolutely right. Second one was that there would be no firm moves towards corruption, for fighting it, uh, undermining it. And uh, the point we made to clients is, look, corruption is institutionalized now within the government and the ANC. And and you you need a sort of cleaning out of the stables uh, virtually. And be very careful that a situation doesn't arise where the government tries to focus public anger at corruption on one individual. Uh, just like what happened with, with Jacob Zuma. You know, it, it all became, at the end of the Zuma era, the sort of government ANC media machine made it about Zuma. The problem was Jacob Zuma and the Guptas. So if we could get him out, then we would be on the road to recovery. That didn't work, and it, we knew it wouldn't work because the problem was broader than Mr. Zuma. Now the same effect is playing out again. The government's again under pressure on corruption, and Ace Macheshula. Who's a terribly corrupt chap is being mm. turned into the next Jacob Zuma, and now the public mm. is sort of panting for Mr. Makashula to be arrested and, and he has been, and and sort of thrown out of the ANC. But that that will take us back to 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 the start because you have this institutionalised mm. problem. Our own assessment last year, Sarah, was that a majority of the leadership of the executive committee of the ANC are implicated in allegations of corruption. So that was a big call. Right. That one we got right, right. and I'm, I'm pleased with that. Mm-hmm. Another one, we, 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 on, on the currency, we did. We, our view is and remains, it was last year, that in the medium term, the rand is geared for very sharp reversals because of the weak South African fundamentals. We're not going to deal mm-hmm. with corruption. We're not going to deal with governance questions. and And we already have this sort of very low growth, very high deficit. RAND's going to really run. But we could see that into the end of last year, the currency could come back to an extent, which it did. Uh, but, mm. but I think it's had its run now, and I think towards the end of this year, I said in the note that I, I do a sort of podcast note every Monday morning, I said yeah. I think it's, you, you're going to see the r- RAND run pretty hard at the end of this year in, in the wrong direction. Then to the rest of the world. Now, we, we used to be very focused on South Africa. And that's no longer the case. And there are many reasons for that, one of which is the people who take our advice are no longer focused on South Africa. So we we, we, we did the world, and, and there we did pretty well last year. Our first big call was that we made this in March, that the global economy would do better and come back more strongly through the end of the year than many economists were predicting in March at the first peak of the global pandemic. And that one yeah. we did we did well on. I mean, since we made, following that call, global stock markets, American markets came back by more than 50%. And as I, I said to mm-hmm. our clients, that if you'd listen to our advice, we would pay your subscription fee for, for many a decade to come. And, <laughs> and, um, commodity prices, many of those, uh, the majority, except with the oddities in, in them, actually ended the year last year at higher levels than, than they were in January mm-hmm. of 2020. And, and a whole host of global indicators actually came through more strongly. So that one we got right. On China and America, there was a lot of fear last year that the China-America trade dispute would uh, do severe damage to the global economy. And we said it wouldn't. And we said it won't because Mr. Qi in China and, and Mr. Trump in America are in, in the same boat, that their political futures hang on the strength of their economies. And they will therefore not allow this dispute to translate into deep, hard, global economic damage. They'll rather posture at each other. And the media, of course, hysterical, will say, Look, it's the end of the world. We said it's not going to come yet. And and, mm-hmm. and, and that call we, we got right. The Middle East, crystallizing of this new balance of power, the sort of Iranians on the one hand and the Israel Sunni thing on the other we saw that one coming. We, we think that's going to introduce relative stability to that region uh, for quite some time to come still. And Brexit, we got right. We said it would be a deal. It would be a good deal. It would be negotiated by the end of the year. I can credit mm-hmm. one of my colleagues, Harman Pretorius, with, with uh, convincing me of that. You, you mustn't think I, I come up with this stuff. Uh, I have <laughs> these very excellent colleagues. <laughs> and take the, sometimes take the credit. The, the, that we got right. We called the election for Mr. Trump at the end, although we knew it would be very close. I mean, for, for, for Mr. Biden at the end, although we knew it would be very close. And uh, we said there would be a transition to a new administration. There won't be coups or anything of that nature. And, and despite the deplorable scenes at the Capitol over the last week, that's not a, that's not a, it's a terrible thing but, and, 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 and absolutely awful. But, but it's not a coup. America. The coup in America is yeah. unlikely to succeed. So we got that call right. So on the world, both economically and politically, uh, uh, I, I think you know, we, 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 we put our clients last year in a position where if they'd taken up the advice, they would have been very well geared to anticipate events and not be exposed to unanticipated surprises. And that's really the standard that, that analysts need to meet. You must look at the track record of your analyst on hard calls, no waffling, no fence-sitting. What did they Mm -hmm. say would happen in hard terms? And on the bulk of those calls, did they get them mostly right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the standard that we want to be subjected to by our clients.
1: Sorry. Right. Right. we will break shortly for, a, for, a, 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 for an ad break, but I'd like to just start and bring you back after the ad break, if I may, for a few minutes, to say that given this extraordinary um, uh, prescient record um, that doesn't uh, meet any of the conspiracy theories that we've been confronted with of late, um, what are we going to get right this year?
0: Yeah, good. FM. One hundred and one point nine megahertz of life.
1: Welcome back, and I am in conversation with Dr. Franz Cronier, and we were talking about the extent to which uh, the IRR got its its uh, forecasts for what was likely to happen last year, mostly right, both locally and internationally. And my question to him now is, what are we looking at this year? And uh, what are we likely to be right on this year?
2: Yeah, well, well, we, we, our, our calls now are this. Let's do them like this, Sarah. We'll do sort of like short mm-hmm. to medium term, and then we'll do longer term. Right. Sometimes the trends change. You kind of have these what we call curved yeah. benders. The short term trend goes one way, the long term trend goes another way. On South Africa, short to medium term, no reform uh, out of government. That's, that's a bridge mm-hmm. too far. They've, Various reasons for that. Some of them are, are ideological. Some of them are competent. Some of them are internal structural to the ANC. So uh, creating a more competitive investment environment will, will not happen within the life of this party. Uh, in the, that short to medium term, in the longer term for South Africa, that, that goes through the election in 2024 and then into that in 2029. On the balance of probabilities now, I think as a consequence, the ANC will lose its political control of South Africa. And and we will at first be in an era of coalition politics, and that will crystallize in, into something new. So there are big, bold calls. And it's not, you know, last year wasn't, uh, you know, one year we did pretty well. The the, the place has a track record over the decades of getting big South African calls was then its focus right. We're just applying that same method now to much of the rest of the world. Uh on governance and corruption for South Africa really the, the, the same position. On on the world, the pandemic, vaccines will introduce a degree of normality. Although I think it's 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 unlikely that that institutions and firms will go back to life exactly as it was before. I think they're great lessons to learn from this pandemic, particularly where its costs intersect with technology. And I think a lot of firms and institutions, we've certainly trialled it or pioneered some of that here in our own organization, can learn to work better, faster, more efficiently uh, by not going back to normal. A lot of sort of remote working, et cetera, is just the the beginnings of that. Into uh, uh, the U.S., uh, stable transition through to the uh, administration of Mr. Biden, some executive orders early on, in an effort to placate his left flank, and and I think that will be welcomed by by markets on the whole. The American economy should do pretty well. The the sort of interface of vaccines and stimulus spending should ensure that. In the longer term, however, uh, I think there's a problem in America, in that the 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 sort of ideas framework around the the Biden administration and the Democratic Party on the whole will infuse into the American policy world ideas and policies that will undermine American competitiveness. And as a consequence, I think the return on American assets will fall through the next decade. And at the the IRR, all this work we do through a separate entity called the Center for Risk Analysis, Uh, The CRA view is that in the fullness of time, probably within the horizon of this decade, the global economy must regurgitate the full volume of stimulus uh, injected into it over the past 20 years. And that means there is a great global reversal, markets reversal on the longer term horizon. And I say to clients calling that, anticipating it, positioning it and, and, and getting through it in good shape will be the defining investment decision that individuals and firms are going to make in the next decade. Into China, I think the administration of Mr. Chi has, just from a strategic perspective, not a human rights perspective, strategic perspective done well to restore order to Hong Kong. The risk to China was always that if the Hong Kong protests were allowed to thrive, they might inspire similar thinking across the urban uh, mainland, middle class mainland, which would bring an end to China's system of governance. That threat has been headed off in the short term, but the draconian crackdown will undermine Chinese innovation and ingenuity as well. And that will kind of level the playing fields between the sort of declining innovation of the West, led by America, although perhaps not the UK and Europe's in a different position, and China. So those are uh, uh, our China calls. Middle East, we think this particularly as there's sort of doubts about to what extent uh, any of the sort of uh, Israeli Sunni side can depend on on Western and American support in in this new ideological climate. I think that crystallizing power balance might restore some of the sort of predictability to Middle Eastern politics that was undone with the initial American invasions of, of Iraq and Kuwait now, all those many years ago. Global outlook in the medium, short to medium term, therefore, for us is pretty good. Uh, but but there's this great uh, reversal risk in the longer term because of stimulus policies and exacerbated by the sort of ideological inflection of what has happened in in American politics over the past. Well, in, in this most recent election, uh, South Africa, unfortunately, in the short term, we're down on it, very down. Into the medium term, I think it's very volatile, very nasty. We're going to way underperform emerging markets across a range of indicators. But in in the end, you know, South Africans look and, and they say to themselves, "It's probably the South African question: When will it end? When when will it turn around? What what mm. will it take?" And they've been saying that to themselves for, for long before the ANC was around. And yeah. I think. The answer, and, and there were many answers offered, you know, could the ANC reform, could you arrest Jacob Zuma, get rid of the Guptas, remove Asma Kashula, can Cyril Ramaphosa do it? None of that is the answer. And uh, I think that's very, very, I'm very hard, hard on that now. I, I just, it's not, mm. it's, it's just not possible. The answer for South Africa lies in a new political transition. Uh, mm-hmm. and And when I say that to a client, they they, they look terribly worried and, and some look amazed, and others think we're completely mad and and I don't think that's right because it is surely the case that the reason mm-hmm. we became a democracy twenty five years ago is 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 for exactly the situation we 're in now, if we find ourselves in a position where we 're not well governed, where life for South Africans has ceased to become better where uh, corruption and malfeasance thrives, where, where incompetence uh, dominates, then in the end, the solution would be uh, for South Africans to pick something new through the ballot box. We mm. remain a free and open society. You can say what you like here. We can be ruthlessly critical of the president. We're not at a point where we're being, we, we, we might be mobbed by Twitter, but we're not being dragged mm-hmm. away by the security police in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if you want to look, look forward to something in South Africa, it is that if we can retain the trappings of democracy, then through this decade, uh, the, the ballot box will be the inflection point, uh, following which South Africans have uh, good reason to think that the country can again resume the positive trajectory that we were on in the first decade after 1994.
1: Perhaps I could just ask a fairly mundane question um, in that, on that point, and that is the fact that we have the municipal elections coming up later in the year. And we also have a situation where most municipalities are in dire, dire financial straits. And we've started having municipalities saying that at some point they're going to run out of money to pay salaries. we have also seen the SABC carry out retrenchments, which for the public sector is – it's unheard of. Um, are these events likely to make an impact on the municipal election, local elections later this year that might not have happened in previous local elections?
2: Yeah, absolutely, sorry. You already see it so clearly. I mean, if you look at the ANC voter trend just on a national level, it's it's down. You know, it peaked at 69% in 2004. And last, two years ago, 2019, it was at 57 I mean you've got to read the trends yeah. I mean a lot of this analysis too is not difficult, but what my colleagues and I do yeah. is not difficult we we, we we just have good information and and mm. we're free from the constraints of political correctness i mean yeah, the, yeah. why why more analysts aren't saying you know if you fall from sixty nine to fifty seven percent in just over a decade and your economy is now entirely shot and, and <laughs> you're not introducing any reforms you know, and you're a free society. what's going to happen next? We're going to lose the election. It's actually, it's actually not hard to do. So, so uh, yeah, I I think it is going to have an effect. I mean, the 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 we we've got polls. I'll tell you what they show. They're brand new. They came out now recently, and this is raw data. Now you must stress this. A lot of the public doesn't understand polling. This is raw data. This is not. We haven't factored in voter turnout. We haven't factored in uh, uh, questions of. Uh, of of the sort of uh, sort of uniqueness of a local election mm-hmm. versus a national one, so this is not the election result. This is if you are South African adults, who would you vote for? This is what they tell you. Doesn't mean they're going to vote that way. Doesn't mean they're even going to vote. ANC now at 49%, so it's below 50%. And uh, the the DA sitting at between 14 and 15. And the the EFF sitting at between thirteen and fourteen, but don't project out of that an election result. Talk to us rather. Mm. We're working on on one at the moment. So yeah, uh, uh, the the ANC is is now polling at below fifty percent. The ANC has a deep, but it's worse than that for the ANC because if you a lot of ANC support we saw it in twenty nineteen's election comes from a block of older voters. Mm. Who appreciate the extent to which South Africa, even today, is a better place than it was when the country was ruled by the nats, and it is substantively better in, in so many respects, um, but those older voters are uh, reaching you know maximum life expectancy for South Africa. Yeah. Younger people tend not to register to vote; they turn not to t- turn out to vote, not because they're lazy and stupid and don't think they should vote but because they look around and they don't really see an option that grabs them. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you factor in the demographics into the ANC's polling, it then becomes extremely difficult to foresee how mm-hmm. that party can sustain its national majority exactly. into the end of the decade. Right. Uh,
1: um, thank you, Franz. I'm going to have to sort of end it there and thank you very much I think we probably need a program just to look on that po- at that polling because it covers much more than just that and, it, and generally our polling and our research explodes a whole lot of myths so th- France thank you so much for being on um, that was highly enlightening and I think it was great fun to listen to and hopefully we can get you back sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah. Thanks Sarah. Have- I'd love to come back.
1: Great. And on to our final air break.
0: Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.
1: Welcome back, and apologies for the for technical glitch, which uh, I think was probably m- on my side. I'm just, just rusty at this. But just to say that for the next week, we will be looking at the extent to which conspiracy theories may aggravate. Uh, the whole matter of COVID and the dealing with COVID. Um, I mean, we've seen cell phone masts burnt down and destroyed this week because people believe that the introduction of 5G, or it's 5G that is uh, that has introduced the, uh, the virus, which is, is absolutely bizarre and absurd and, and not helpful at all. Um, the other thing we'll look at is whether the government relents commonsensically to allow the private sector to obtain um, the vaccine without having to go through the government as the single supplier, which is for no good reason other than ideology and, and political power. Um, I think we're going to see there's going to be more about uh, the USA as uh, Joe Biden is sworn into office and Donald Trump has to leave the scene. So I think we'll be uh, uh, at no loss for things to worry about, be annoyed by, and in some measure be hugely amused by. So having said that, um, thank you very much for this first, uh, for this first episode. Um, very glad to be back with you again. Um, I'm um, the, the, you can find our writing, the IRR writing on the daily friend show DailyFriend.co.za, where you'll find opinion, news articles, and podcasts, um, which are very, very enlightening indeed, even if you don't agree with everything we say. And with that having been said, I'd like to thank you and see you again next week. Hashtag you don't have to be
0: Jewish.